the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. Kevin is a retired United States Army Lieutenant Colonel who has studied UFOs for more than 50 years. His military training has provided him with unique insight into military operations and UFO research. Kevin has investigated many of the most mysterious cases and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries and been interviewed on hundreds of radio and television programs about UFOs. Considered to be one of the leading experts on the Roswell UFO crash, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs including Roswell in the 21st Century and Encounter in the Desert, a re-examination of the Socorro UFO landing. Now here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And welcome to this edition of A Different Perspective. I'm Kevin Randall. As promised last week, I'm still here with John Greenwald. I'm going to dispense with reading his introduction. For those of you who would like, listen to last week's program and you'll you'll get uh, that. I will say that his website is www.theblackvault.com and his book is, and I, I'm sorry, John, I cannot remember the name of it. Your book is... That's okay. Second book just came out, uh, Secrets from the Black Vault. Secrets from the Black Vault. Okay. And uh, my book, latest book, is The Best of Project Blue Book, which has been up and down on the Amazon bestseller lists. Write a review. Give me, give me some help here. Um, last week, we talked about uh, a little bit about the troubled MUFON. We talked uh, about Eric Davis and the Tom Wilson controversy. And this week, I wanted to talk about ATIP and Lou... Alessandro and the continuing controversy about that. And I know, John, you've done a lot of research into that. Uh, give me a brief summary of uh, Lou Alessandro and how all of this came about. Sure. Well, uh, October 2017, <laughs> Luis Alessandro got on stage with Tom DeLong and uh, really kind of captivated those that were interested in UFOs at that point. He captivated the world, in my argument, uh, then later in December of the same year when the New York Times broke the story about ATIP and so on. And the quick synopsis for me is I watched in October that press conference when uh, Luis Elizondo got up there, and I was really intrigued. I didn't start off as a skeptic, uh, though grew into one uh, about uh, some of the claims, and um, Really had FOIA requests, I mean, I kid you not, uh, but within 24 hours uh, throughout multiple agencies of the U.S. government based on what Luis Elizondo said. And in short, even though we didn't know about ATIP uh, for a couple months after uh, he spoke in October, he talked about heading a program about unidentified aerial threats uh, that was uh, something he ran within the Pentagon. And... Again, fast forwarding to December, that's when we learned about uh, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, or what we call ATIP. And allegedly, they said that this was a secret Pentagon UFO study, uh, which obviously was very, very much up my alley, and uh, something that I started seeking documents on, asking a lot of questions uh, to both sides of this, to Mr. Elizondo and the organization that he worked 
which was to the Stars Academy that was founded by Tom DeLonge, but also the Pentagon, uh, calling the Pentagon in addition to filing FOIA requests. Uh, and and uh, I went after the Public Affairs Office and all of a sudden, all sorts of things started to happen, uh, which was the narrative that we were told not only by uh, the New York Times, but, you know, Mr. Elizondo himself started to become challenged by the information or the lack thereof that started to come out. And so well, that let me break in. Let me break in sure. and ask you a question. When you call the Pentagon, do they know yeah. who you are? Well, I don't think so. Uh, although, I, I mean, I've, I've filed enough FOIA requests that I believe the, the FOIA offices would. Public affairs at this time, I, I would say probably not. I mean, I've, I've gotten quotes and stuff and, and had to call prior uh, for various projects I've worked on. But, uh, but I wouldn't say they're like, oh, God, here's Greenwald again. FOIA office, yeah, I'm sure they roll their eyes. But uh, pu- public affairs, which is a... a uh, a different office, the spokespeople, different office. I, I doubt it. Well, you were going to say now before I interrupted. Well, the, yeah. So when I first started talking to them, uh, it it really it seemed like there was a big piece of the puzzle missing, which was here we are being told that this was a Pentagon UFO study, right? It was printed in the New York Times, printed in Politico. And then uh, Mr. Elizondo was saying the same exact thing. Yet the Pentagon started to backtrack a little bit. And they're like, no, this this actually wasn't a, a UFO study. Uh, th- that, um, that, that that was not what this program was about. Now, I want to be fair here because I don't want to make it seem like I'm picking on, you know, Mr. Elizondo and his story. The Pentagon over time now, here we are in 2020, has flip-flopped themselves going from, you know, essentially not acknowledging UFOs to then acknowledging that they studied UFOs. I felt that that was a big surprise. The New York Post broke that story. And I was quoted in that article just simply because it came as a very much a surprise to me that they did that. And as I was continuing to push the Pentagon for answers, uh, come December of last year of 2019, uh, they flip-flopped on that. And the, uh, the, a new spokesperson had told me that the previous spokesperson was wrong. And so I was not pushing, like, are you guys sure that you studied UFOs? Do you want to change your mind? That's not how I approached them, for the record. I was seeking information about uh, ATIP and their UFO studies, but I was not putting the question out there, hey, do you guys want to change your mind? It was when they responded to me that I realized they were changing their mind. They were saying that ATIP did not study UFOs. So they flip-flopped on their own office and said uh, that it was uh, essentially a mistake. And I had published that and and, uh, put that on on my site, got picked up in quite a few different places that the Pentagon now was backtracking on what they had said. So it, there's a lot of facets to this, and sadly, it doesn't make me very popular questioning the narrative that most people want. The narrative most people want, we're on the tip of disclosure. ATIP is is and was a, a uh, Pentagon UFO study, uh, and they have crash debris, and uh, we're on the, the, the beginning here of, of a disclosure trek that's going to happen. That's what I think a lot of people want to believe. And I, I'm definitely not there uh, with that and uh, have a say, lot of questions. 
When you say disclosure, what exactly do you mean? Sure. I feel uh, a lot of people expect that this is going to spiral into the government admitting that they have alien technology. Now, please mind you, that is not me saying that. I'm saying that from my experience looking at how other people write uh, and how they do their videos and how they interact online and how they post uh, things out there. And like you and I chatted about last week with the Wilson documents, there are some big name researchers that have really went all in that this is legitimate. But the only thing they have are these secret anonymous sources that they won't tell you about. They'll promise you to the moon that they're real, legit, and they vetted them. But how do we know that? And, and that's, I think, at the end of the day, what's very sad about this is people want to believe so bad. It's what I referenced last week as the I want to believe syndrome. They want to believe so bad they don't think critically. And we have to get evidence if we're to believe that the Wilson meeting took place with Eric Davis. We need evidence. We don't need Wilson denying it. And that's your evidence. Right? We got to do a little better than that. Uh, so I, I, I think that uh, we're lacking in that area of critical thinking. And people have sacrificed that logical way to look at this and just resigned to we're on disclosure. And I, I just don't, uh, don't see that at all. I will say that when the videos were released and the New York Times story came out, I thought that we had taken a giant step toward disclosure. It seemed to me that the Pentagon, the government, was loosening the uh, reins on their classifications and the documentation that they had. Because here is video, video of an anomalous object near, uh, I think it's the USS Nimitz. And it was recorded by the uh, the gun cameras or the equipment aboard the, the fighter planes that encountered these anomalous objects. So it seemed to me that the Pentagon was, in fact, moving toward the idea of uh, disclosing what they had, being a little freer with the information they may have collected over, over the years, going back to the beginnings of, I guess, Project Sign in, in the 1940s, that they were coming to grips with some of that information and decided the public was sophisticated enough to accept that sort of thing. Uh, uh, it, well, I'm, I'm, I'm running up against my, my break here. So uh, what I was going to say was um, we need to explore a little bit more about the ATIP program and when it began and has there been an ongoing UFO program from Project Sign, even though we're told that Periodically, these things don't exist, and what you may have found in your documentation, and uh, how all of this relates to what's going on today. Uh, John's website, of course, is www.theblackvault.com. Mine is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and I am just absolutely delighted I was able to say that without screwing it up. <laughs> and as and as I I point out, you know, each week, uh, my latest book is the best of Project Blue Book. And it does help for people to write reviews of the book or just put down a, a star rating for the book. Uh, it gets other people interested in it, and it helps spread the word as I see it, the important things that I think are going on in the UFO field. When I come back, we'll be talking with John Greenwald. We'll do a little bit more on the ATIP program. So please stick around.
John Greenwald is the guest. We're continuing our conversations from last week. We were talking about uh, the EdTip program and disclosure, and it kind of uh, generated a question in my mind. How far back does ATIP go? And when we talk about it being a threat assessment program, does that mean it's related strictly to UFOs or does it uh, encompass other threats that may be out there? Well, uh, what I will say is how far back does it go to answer that part of it? On paper, anyway, it was, uh, let me see here, 2008, I believe, to 2012 when they pulled the the funding. And what I had uh, really tried to dug into was, you know, what 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 did they do? And we know for a fact that it was part of the Defense Intelligence Agency now that we've dug a little bit more and was later transferred to the office of the Secretary of Defense, which is where Mr. Elizondo was. Uh, what exactly did it do? Your guess is as good as mine as is as good as anybody's. And, it, and why I say it that way is it depends on who you want to believe. Now, Mr. Elizondo's side, which I'm not saying is right or wrong, uh, but what he is saying is it was a UFO research program. They looked into these things. Okay, so that's fine. Pentagon saying, no, they didn't look into UFOs at all. Now, some of uh, your audience may bring up those three videos that To The Stars Academy released, saying that they were declassified videos. The real quick point I want to make about those videos is that the DOD, the Department of Defense, denied uh, up until a few months ago that they ever released those videos. And I was heavily chastised for bringing that up. But what has unfolded is, uh, and what has been revealed, I should say, uh, by Popular Mechanics, and the journalist was Tim McMillan, that there was an Air Force Office of Special Investigation into the leak of those videos and that whole process. And I had uncovered the documents that went along with with the internal review, but it never authorized a public release. So what we were told in the New York Times and by other people that were involved, uh, it, has seen, it seemed and appeared to be completely wrong. And when those uh, AFOSI documents came out and published by Popular Mechanics, it specifically said in there, if the DOD knew that the videos, uh, which were the ones from the Nimitz and the Go Fast video and the uh, what they call the Gimbal video, if it was told to them that, th that they would have ended up with the media, they never would have granted it. And so there's a very much a gray area here on how these things came out. And uh, at this point, it's kind of a moot point because the Navy officially released them a few months ago. And, uh, and, and so now they are officially declassified and released to the public. But regardless, that's another aspect to this uh, story that we were not told the complete truth. Uh, and whether that's nefarious or not, I'll let your audience decide. But it was, again, yet another thing that we were told that was not accurate. If the documents, the, the videos were released prior to proper declassification, um, wasn't that a crime? Well, I got the Navy to admit in writing they were never considered classified, but they were considered for official use only. Now, there was a point within the review process, which these were in documents I got through FOIA, which were the communications between Mr. Elizondo. Uh, so it was revealed that he was the one that spearheaded a review of the records uh, and uh, a component of the DOD called DOPSER 
that there was a point where they wanted to make sure that they were unclassified, so they did consider them secret, but that was very much short-lived, and they did did determine that since they were uh, filmed uh, on the um, uh, Nimitz, they were always considered unclassified, and the same was true for all three videos. Now, I got the Navy to admit that in writing. So, no, I don't believe that it was a crime, but, but as you know, for official use only material does need a review. And that's where Dopser came in. Dopser, well, I was going to say for the audience that uh, um, for official use only is, in fact, the lowest form of classification. Mm -hmm. It doesn't require safeguarding or the things that confidential, secret, and top secret material require. It's a very classification. It's just supposed to mean you just use it for what you need inside the military or your organization rather than let it go out to the public. Correct. Yeah. And and that's an uh, that's another intriguing aspect to this, uh, which I don't know if you want to get into now. But the fact that if this was really, I don't know, interesting to the U.S. government, that if it was technology, they had zero clue what it was and was part of a secret Pentagon UFO study, I would imagine those videos actually would have been classified. And yet they were not nor were they ever, according to the U.S. Navy. So that, to me, is a very intriguing aspect to this, because w why wouldn't they be, you know, in a, in a, a rumored heavily classified program uh, if these are, you know, what people want to believe as maybe alien technology or something like that? Why would they not be uh, classified at all? And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure what the answer is, other than maybe the government didn't find them interesting. I, I really, again, have, have no idea. So it, it, um, I think at the end of the day, the videos are important because the Navy did officially recognize them as not only real, but release them to the public officially and say that they were unidentified aerial phenomena. Um, I had broken that part of the story in September. That was one of the most viral stories I've ever written, uh, that, uh, the Navy had, had finally acknowledged that the videos depicted what they called UAP. And even though they they always uh, said that the videos were never officially released, I was able to get them to comment on it, and I was pretty floored that they did. Uh, so back in September of 2019 is when they finally acknowledged that these were UAP. That is an important aspect to this, and and one that really kind of remains unexplained. Why why would the Navy uh, classify these as such, and why would the Air Force and still remains so silent about the whole issue? And so there is this kind of juxtaposition when you look at the Navy, who's been fairly open in the last 12, 18 months versus the Air Force, and they have like nothing to do with UAPs. So it's a, it's a really interesting time we live in, in the in the UFO world, and there are still many, many unanswered questions. Well, in your research, did you get any explanation for what the UAPs may have been if they're not extraterrestrial spacecraft, which is really a loaded question now that I think about it? Let me rephrase that and say, did you get any explanation of what the UAPs might have been? Yeah, essentially, they're just unidentified uh, vehicles that are encroaching on military assets, whether that be a base or whether that be, you know, the USS Nimitz or the Nimitz Carrier Strike Group. And so they had uh, the Navy had given a explanation for me that, quote unquote, defined UAP. Uh, and they said it was a term that they had borrowed from the UK. And I, that always confused me uh, because unidentified aerial phenomena actually goes back to the Blue Book era. So that's nothing new. It's been around for, for quite a long time. And um, 
Joseph Gratisher, who was the spokesperson for the Navy, uh, had, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially went into that they were trying to, uh, you know, reduce the stigma. He had said that, I believe, to Time magazine, if memory serves me well, uh, including myself, and uh, by apparently not saying UFO and saying UAP, all of a sudden that stigma goes away. I, I'm, I, I laugh about it because I think that's silly. Because in everything we see published about UAPs, they immediately follow it with UFO anyway. So they're just kind of, you know, going along with each other anyway. So changing the term, I don't think is changing anything. But regardless, it's just, just essentially a UFO. It's, it's something that the Navy recognizes as a, a potential threat, which I agree with, uh, and that they claim at this point they are investigating those encounters. And they issued guidelines uh, to their fleet about reporting UAPs as they're seen uh, and then um, uh, essentially investigating them. And according to them, those investigations will remain classified as a whole. I went after that message as well. Um, I did discover that uh, it was no longer in draft form, which means they did submit it to the to the fleet. Uh, but they did deny me. So I've appealed it. I'm waiting for that appeal. But they consider the entire thing classified. Is there any explanation for what the UAPs were that were videotaped specifically? Because I've heard explanations that it was some kind of a uh, technological glitch that may have created the image on the uh, on the screen or on the videotape. And that sort of thing, that it wasn't really a real object scene, but it was some kind of a technological problem. There, Yeah, it comes down to who you want to believe. Uh, when you're talking about an official word or explanation or even theory, there is none. The Navy would not go on the record and theorize at all. They just essentially said, we consider these unidentified aerial phenomena, period, and that was it. So uh, on an official level, absolutely nothing. And I was really surprised by that. Because I, they they had an out. They could have easily have said, you know, I don't know. Uh, we can neither confirm nor deny, but essentially leading the public to believe that this could have been a classified test that the witnesses on the Nimitz and the Princeton were not aware of, nor did they have a need to know. They could have alluded to that, and that's what I expected this to come out to, and they didn't. Uh, on the opposite, they said, we consider them unidentified aerial phenomena. I had pushed the Pentagon about that, saying, okay, could the United States Air Force test a highly classified, let's say, drone uh, against a carrier strike group within the Navy, but essentially not inform the Navy? So therefore, their statements about it being unidentified are technically accurate, but in reality, it's simply highly classified Air Force tech. And the Pentagon okay. didn't bite on that. They said no, that that let's would not happen. Let's come back to that in just a moment. I've got to take a break here. I'm with John Greenwald, he of the Black Vault. And uh, my blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. I will be back with John Greenwald, and we will be talking about uh, ATIP and what the Navy thinks of UAPs, I guess. So please stick around.
I am joined by John Greenwald. I hesitated there because I was going to say John Greenwald in L.A. and me in Iowa, but uh, there's really no reason to point that out. When we went away, we were talking about the Navy attitude, I guess, to UAPs. And what struck me, and I'll throw this out there for what it's worth, back in 1952, a Navy warrant officer named Delbert Newhouse took 30 feet of color film of objects over Tremont, Utah. Uh, the Navy investigated it at length, analyzed it frame by frame, came to the conclusion that it was internally lighted objects um, and gave a, a speed and a distance for them. The Air Force, on the other hand, said, nah, it was birds. So what I'm thinking here is um, we have a history of the Navy looking into UFO sightings. And then the reason they were involved with this one, because it was a Navy ward officer who, who took the footage, Delbert Newhouse. Um, and now we have the, the situation with the Nimitz. And they seem to have been much more open about what they've seen and what they've thought in the investigation. And the Air Force keeps coming up with cockamamie explanations. Uh, what do you think about all of that, John? That definitely coincides with what's going on today. And, and that's provable by official records and, and statements where uh, we already went over some of the statements by the Navy stating, hey, these are UAPs. We don't know what they are. Uh, we investigate them and so on. I went after internal Air Force emails because I couldn't get the Air Force to go on the record. And uh, they have now, uh, from a PR standpoint, uh, transferred everybody to the Pentagon to make statements about UAPs. There's one person that is tasked for that. And she is, hate to say it, just near impossible to work with. I have questions seeking statements going back literally about nine or ten months now. And, uh, and they're, they're just not answering anything. But so what I did was I filed FOIA requests for internal emails by the spokespeople within the United States Air Force. Uh, obviously, the uh, intent here was if they're not going to tell me on the record, fine, I'll find out or, or at least attempt to what they're talking about internally. And to my surprise, I got a ton of stuff. And the attitude within the Air Force was very much we're dealing with drones uh, and UASs or unmanned uh, um, uh, aircraft systems. And that's what the Navy was referring to, but it got twisted to UFOs and aliens. So they were very internally kind of standoffish a little bit like, boy, look at look at how the media is twisting the Navy's words. They meant drones and UASs and it got twisted. What's really interesting about that, though, is the paperwork internally to get the uh, FLIR, GoFast, and Gimbal videos reviewed, which again was, was received under the Freedom of Information Act. Internally, Mr. Elizondo described the videos as drones, UASs, and balloons. Now, why is that? I, and that's a big question that I, I don't feel there's an adequate explanation for, uh, and people hate me for bringing it up, but internally, that is exactly how those videos were described when given to Dopser. And the reason why that's important is, number one, they were unclassified videos. So if you say they're UAPs, that in itself would not be classified. But let's just assume for a moment it was. Dopser is cleared up to a top secret level to review information. That's what they do. That's verifiable on their website. They have uh, uh, communication methods that are 
uh, all the way up to their JWIC server, which handles top secret information. So they can handle top secret information. So to keep that from them, to me, has always been a red flag. Why? And it coincides with the Air Force's attitude that they're talking about drones and UASs. And ironically, that is exactly what the description was for Flare One, Gimbal, and Go Fast. So go figure. I have no idea what that <laughs> essentially means. Uh, but I feel that we should continue asking that question on why those videos were described as such. Well, could the Air Force have been doing something in the area where the Nimitz battle group was that the Air Force hadn't coordinated with the Navy and the Navy didn't knew they didn't know they were there and now the rivalry of the services services has come to surface that uh, the Air Force doesn't admit they they did this and the Navy doesn't want to admit they misidentified or should have been able to identify these things as something mundane or terrestrial. Yeah, I feel that that scenario is perfectly plausible, and I did push the the Pentagon uh, on that very point, that could the Air Force do that? And uh, they said no. So I wasn't giving them an out, but I wanted to know if there was an out, meaning could this have just simply been an Air Force drone that was tested in a real-world exercise against our best pilots and best technology and, and best instrumentation, uh, what better way to do it uh, than than to do it that way and and see what the best Navy in the world could deduce could deduce from that test. And yet they said that they would not do that. So could they have been misleading me through the spokespeople uh, within the public affairs office? Sure, ab absolutely. Uh, they could very well be doing these tests all the time, keep the Navy or at least the Navy uh, personnel on the ships in the dark and test this highly classified technology. So that is a possibility uh, and, and one that on an official level is denied, but uh, in my book, very much a possibility. Are the, uh, the aircraft that the Nimitz was flying, are they armed all the time, you know? No, it, as far as I know, uh, no, they were not armed all the time. They were just doing a, a, a training exercise with uh, no armament on board. So they were, I mean, they weren't going to a range or anything like that. They were just out um, getting getting flight time uh, or practicing formation or whatever they do. When they saw the, the, the tic-tac, yes. Uh, and what, what's interesting is that they all don't agree. I, I mean, I, I'm not in tune with 100% of the witnesses that have come forward on, you know, the Nimitz and the Princeton. But what I can comfortably say is that there are... I would say what what we would call discrepancies between the stories that that some of the stories don't exactly match up, uh, and it, it seems like there's animosity between those that were on the Nimitz, mainly Commander David Fravor, versus some that were on the Princeton that have come forward, and it's just it's really kind of a bizarre situation that uh, that there is that kind of animosity. But regardless, uh, not all the stories are 100 uh, percent perfectly aligned, and so there could be something to that as well. Well, let me let me bring up a point of my experience. I noticed in in Vietnam there was an animosity between the flight crews and the ground crews, mm -hmm. so that uh, uh, there was there was um, I guess uh, some some kind of problems. I mean the the flight flight crews were kind of egotistical, and I'll throw myself into that mix because I was part of the flight crews, but the ground crews um, seemed to resent. Uh, the flight crews, because it seemed like everything was geared toward them. And if you're talking about an aircraft carrier as opposed to a a picket ship, 
Yeah, uh, I can see where there'd be some animosity, uh, but between the the two groups, it's it's interesting that you bring up that perspective because that is exactly what I feel is going on. That there that there is that uh, kind of animosity between the pilot who engaged the Tic Tac uh, versus what the ground crew was saying on the Princeton. So we don't have a good explanation of what was seen. It may have been a technological glitch. It may have been the Air Force fooling around with a drone. And, and I won't say that the Air Force did it on purpose. It may be that it, coincidentally, the Air Force's experiments with their drones um, penetrated the Nimitz Battle Group area or something like that. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of things that could be going on on there that really has nothing to do with UFOs. And it seems from what you've said just earlier with Ale Alexandro identifying the images on the three videos as something other than UFOs, but uh, balloons and, and whatever, uh, we don't really have a good UFO story going here. Not, not really, and and I think that again the, the that uh, descriptor of of UASs and drones, which does actually coincide with the biggest skeptical explanation for potentially what they saw during the Nimitz encounter. To me, that's too big of a of a coincidence to kind of let go. That I think that they really have to um, kind of hone in on that and rule out cl highly classified technology. And a lot of people are offended by that. Uh, especially if like I, I, I were to bring that up and people like on a let's just say a social media post or one of my videos or interviews or whatever, I bring that up. People are offended because they don't want to think that a military pilot who likely is one of the best of the best in the world could mistake a drone or something like that versus a UFO, uh, that it's insulting them somehow. And I don't see it that way. I mean – these men and women who fly are the most highly trained best in the world, but that doesn't mean that they're privy to 100% of what is being flown or tested on a classified or unclassified level. So there's nothing wrong with saying, let's say David Fravor or whomever saw a drone, but he mistakenly said that it was otherworldly. That's not his fault and that's not an insult towards him or the military or, or anything. That's just he may not have known that we have that technology at the time. You know, or a lot not, of people. Or may not have been aware of the configuration of those drones. So it looked like something that was unusual to him. He is not aware of what it looked like. That's or what right. they looked like. And the Air Force is experimenting with something like that. Um, we're going to have to take a break here. Um, the website is www.theblackvault.com. Mine is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And I should mention there are some other great programs about the paranormal on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, or as we like to say in Canada, the XZBN.net. So take a look at the listings at the X-Zone website. Uh, take a, just scroll on down, and I'm sure you'll find something that will be of your interest. I will be back in just a moment with John Greenwald, and we will be talking a little bit more about ATIP and what the... Uh, air crews of the Nimitz may have seen, so please stick around.
I am here with John Greenwald. We're talking about the ATIP program, disclosure, the Nimitz uh, battle group, um, a lot of different things here. And we were kind of wondering if there was a program or a experimental craft that might be might account for um, the observations by the Nimitz. Uh, John, have you come across anything like that? Well, I think of the, the drone technology and classified tech like that is is high on my list to look at to see if, if there is anything that fits the bill. Another interesting thing that is really not talked about, but I think there's too much of a coincidence here to ignore, uh, um, is, is within about 48 hours of the Nimitz encounter, uh, which, which they say happened on November 14th uh, in 2004. Uh, within 48 hours of that, on November 16th, NASA tested their X-43. Now, I'm not saying that the craft of the Tic Tac is the X-43. Don't get me wrong here. But what I will say that it, it, the test was in the same vicinity as the carrier strike group. And the X-43 crushed the speed record going a record 9.6. Now, that is huge. Uh, that's Mach 9.6. Mach 9.6. Correct. Yeah. Mach 9.6. And so, I, I mean, that's, that's, I believe it's like 7,000 miles an hour or something like that. Uh, the previous record was only Mach 6.8, which is about 5,000 um, miles an hour. So this, when you, when you have a UFO sighting in the same vicinity, and one of the qualities of this Tic Tac was that it could move a very large distance in a very short amount of time. Um, that's that's a pretty big coincidence that I would want to look into. Now, is it the X-43? Well, no, I, again, this is something that I would not bet my house on either. But you have to look at that technology being tested in the same vicinity, within the same time frame, and there is a possibility that they could have piggybacked a test of something else, or they could have tested something else very similar to the X-43 because they were set up to do it, monitor it. And X-43 was not a classified uh, uh, test, by the way, so, so the public was aware of it. So they could have, again, piggybacked on that public story, but rather tested uh, classified technology. Uh, save a little bit of money along the way, but uh, two days prior to the X-43 test, test something else. So for me, it, it's a big coincidence I don't think a whole lot of people talk about it. I think some people have referenced it and then just immediately dismiss it because they don't want to deal with it. Uh, but I, th I think that that is something that, that I think people that are trying to find answers, I think that, that that is something that should be taken into consideration and, and how it may have played a role in this encounter in this case. But doesn't the X-43 basically fly in the upper edges of the atmosphere? Well, c correct. And then, then that is the kind of a question mark here. I'm not saying that it's an exact either visual representation or the same flight qualities, but that also paves the way for, well, did we hear 100% of how it went down? Meaning, uh, for me, I use the example of a car accident. If you put four people on four corners of the same intersection and they all watch the same car accident, you will get four different stories about how it all went down. And so I'm not saying that the military men and women are coming with false stories or, or whatever, but there could be some qualities and some characteristics to what they saw that may not be entirely how it all went down. They all don't agree with each other. That we can comfortably say, well, why not? They were looking at the same craft, right? They were looking at the same event, right? 
So that's not against them on a personal level and, and trying to say that they're lying or anything. But again, it's that car crash scenario where people are going to decipher what they see in different ways because they are going to attribute it to what they believe and what they know versus uh, maybe something that they don't know, like that piece of classified technology. So that, that again, goes back to this was the same vicinity around the same exact time frame. And we're not talking a month or two apart. We're talking about 48 hours apart that they're testing a very high-speed aircraft, uh, which just happens to coincide with a UFO encounter of a very high-speed Tic Tac. So uh, not a match for me, but definitely a coincidence that I feel we should keep in the back of our mind as we try and figure out exactly what may have happened. Well, what, the reason I asked the question is because I always had the impression that with the, the air crews, they were looking down at the object. And if the object, if the X-43 is operating in the upper reaches of the atmosphere, they would have been looking up for it. So... But of course, it had to get to the upper reaches of the atmosphere before it could um, uh, they could begin their test, I guess. Yeah. But the point is, I thought they were looking. The the Nimitz guys were looking. I shouldn't say Nimitz, right? The Nimitz pilots were looking down. Yeah, they had said that there was something in the water, and all of those are intriguing facts. I mean, it, we don't have video footage of any of that. Uh, we only have video footage of the white tic tac, and so from a skeptical or scientific standpoint. Where I go is it's it's about what you can prove, not what you believe or not what you say. And even though I feel that testimony is important, we can't prove what was seen in the water or looking down. The only thing we can prove is that FLIR video of something in the air, which, according to eyewitnesses, was moving incredibly fast. So the evidence, again, not saying it didn't happen, but just from that skeptical standpoint, we don't have anything other than a pilot testimony that they saw something in around near or within the water. There's also stories that, you know, it swallowed, something came up and swallowed an object. I mean, again, there's, there's so many different facets to this. So I just go by what you can prove and what you can prove is that a video was shot. The military claims they don't know what it, what it is. Uh, and it is that tic tac that's flying in the air. Uh, that uh, witnesses say were, was going very fast. That's what you can essentially prove at this point, uh, but you can't go much farther than that. Well, as we were talking about disclosure at one point, um, and I thought that the, the release of these videos was a step toward disclosure, do you think what we've learned now is a step backwards from disclosure? I don't think, I would, I would respectfully argue that it wasn't a step to disclosure on any level in any way, uh, just simply because the government has backtracked. They never released the videos. There's no sign that this was planned. So I don't think that there's anything to take a step back from. Um, I am a believer that disclosure per se is not going to happen on the side of the U.S. government or the military. I don't think the military will be cornered into admitting uh, anything when it comes to you know UFOs or extraterrestrials or anything like that. Uh, to me, disclosure is finding enough evidence for whomever is looking at it to determine for themselves, hey, this this really does look like a potentially ex extraterrestrial connected technology or something like that. To me, disclosure is very much more individual 
versus something that has one definition for the masses, if that makes sense. I think it's different for, for all of us. And I, I think that when it comes down to it, and I did this in my book, I broke down the skeptical argument for what UFOs or UAPs could be. And I just kind of started tackling them one by one because that's how I think. And for me, I lean towards extraterrestrial uh, connections simply because there's, in my opinion, evidence to support it, not prove it yet, but support it. And uh, many of the other skeptical explanations, I believe, can be disproven by that evidence. But that's the way I think. And I, I again, framed it in my book that I don't uh, I don't think everybody's going to think like me. I'm an advocate for everybody individually defining disclosure, what it means for them and finding what they need to come to a viable conclusion, whatever it may be. I have always said that uh, disclosure at the, is at the hands of the aliens. Once they land and say, here we are, that's disclosure. Yeah. And the government has no control over that. Um, but I, 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 I'm like you. I lean toward the extraterrestrial, but I take a look at the evidence and see what the evidence tells me about specific sightings. Is this a good sighting or is this something that is easily explained in the mundane? Somebody just made a misperception of some kind. So yeah. that's kind of where I, I think we're on the same wavelength at that point. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it. And and I think what a lot of people don't consider is uh, not only what the evidence can show you, but also what the evidence doesn't show you. And that's an important aspect to answering this question that I think a lot of people ignore, that there is evidence to support certain things, but there's also evidence that doesn't support certain things. And people want to kind of dismiss that. Uh, a prime example is why does the documentation describe those videos as drones and UASs? You know, I mean, that 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 evidence shows uh, that we have a definition for something, but people often dismiss that and then just lean on, hey, this is UFOs. We're going to, to disclosure with it. And uh, and I don't operate that way. I want to know why it said drones and UASs. And that's one small example, but tying it into what we're talking about. That, to me, is an example of evidence that proves something, but also doesn't prove something. And that's what people want to ignore. It does not prove that these are UFOs, uh, and people want to ignore that. I want to answer why. John, we could talk about this for another hour, I'm sure. Uh, but we're out of time. I'd like to thank you for taking the time for these last couple of shows here on A Different Perspective. Appreciate your insight into the ATIP program and uh, the other things we talked about in the last couple of weeks. Uh, good luck with your book, and it's uh, www.theblackvault.com. So once again, thank you, John. Appreciate your time here. Any Anytime. Thank you. Uh, next week, we'll be talking to the editor of the... Uh, SCU review about what they have uh, just published and that sort of thing. Well, once again, my blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. The books I think that you should look at are probably Roswell in the 21st Century, Encounter in the Desert, which is a look at the Lani Zamora sighting, and I think it's important to look at all the evidence surrounding that case that uh, has come to light in the last few years. And, of course, the best of Project Blue Book, which is an examination of the Project Blue Book files that were the, taken from a different perspective. And as I say, you've been listening to A Different Perspective on the Exxon Broadcast Net Network. Uh, keep listening at xzbn.net, and thanks for tuning in.